Hello and welcome. We are back after what has been quite a long break for Chris and I, but we are back. We are here to talk about all things Arsenal. We're going to talk about all things transfers. We're also going to do a little quick fire round on kind of covering the last eight, ten weeks since we uh, since we last spoke. So here we are, Turnstiles and Tribulations, episode 15. We are back. How are you doing, Chris? Very well. Great to speak to you. It's been it's been too long. We've been uh, we've been talking about doing this for a couple of weeks now, and um, yeah, just finding the time to do it. But glad that we're going to get back and talk about not just Arsenal but general football because so much has happened um, since we last chatted in November. Um, the whole football world has changed, so <laughs> loads to, loads to get through. Just a little bit. So strap in. Uh, we're going to be here and we're going to talk about a few things. So. Just off air, Chris and I were discussing how we're going to put this one together. And, and one thing I wanted to kind of put in to go over some of the stuff that's happened since the pause in the Premier League season um, and since since we broke up and we were... What, were we five points clear for that whole time or was it seven? Five. Yeah. Five. It was five, wasn't it? Because we only did seven. Yeah. And so my first question is... And and my first statement, and Chris has got 20 seconds to talk about it, and he doesn't know what's coming. I don't know what he's going to say. We're going to go alternatively if he if he has something. If not, I'm just going to pummel Chris with uh, with ideas. But yeah, my first statement is five points clear at Christmas. Yeah, we. I mean, we were five points clear at Christmas. It's one of those that's a little bit um, not not accurate compared to normal seasons because you've got that. World Cup gap. We didn't play all the games that you would normally have played by Christmas. But, yeah, it's a big statement to be there at that time. And it felt good on Christmas Day, opening the presents, that um, Arsenal <laughs> were top of the, on top of the tree. And, uh, yeah, leading the way and, and going into the new year in, in the best possible way. Lovely. I'm going to stop you there. That's, that's it. That's, I, I think every Arsenal fan will echo those sentiments, that, that break... Being on top like that for a while was marvellous. Um, yeah, what what would you like to say to me, Chris? Um, I want to ask you about Messi and specifically Messi. Were you happy that he won the World Cup? Okay, 20 seconds on Messi. Uh, yeah, chuffed for him. For me, he is the better player out of him and Ronaldo. For me, I've always appreciated the genius that he has. You and I have seen him play a few times for uh, Barcelona against the Arsenal and he's just a much more elegant player. I'm very happy and the football romantic in me is very chuffed that Messi has now won everything. Very good. Well, well covered. You did mention Ronaldo's name, which I was uh, hoping you wouldn't, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. well, you, um, you've got to, though, when it comes to those two because, because we've been spoiled. I mean, obviously... Uh, and maybe this is a topic that you might have thought of. So I'm sorry if I'm treading on toes. You, you think of like Pele. And obviously you and I weren't around in that era of football, but he is the only name that stands out from that era of football. In our era of football, it will be Messi and Ronaldo. There are two at the same time. And people are always going to want to draw comparisons. So... Yeah, I had to mention him, um, unfortunately, there. So, but uh, yeah, all good with Messi. <laughs> um, I am going to ask you next topic. Uh, 
Shock World Cup results. 20 seconds. Um, shock results. Obviously, that first Argentina game when they played Saudi Arabia had no idea how good Saudi Arabia would be. Um, actually enjoyed watching them play. So that was a great shock result for me. And um, shock team, I guess, Morocco, going as far as they did. Again, playing some really good football, some fantastic players in midfield who we should be looking at probably. And um, yeah, an enjoyable World Cup for, because of some of the shocks. Yep. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it was good. There were, there were definitely um, some strange results in there. Um, yeah, but we, we'll maybe come on to those with other questions. Uh, what's up for me? Uh, I'm going to stick with the World Cup and um, I'm going to follow on the first uh, question I, I had. <laughs> and were you happy that Argentina, and I'm talking about specifically Argentina, won the World Cup? No, that bit hurt. No, not a huge fan of Argentina, uh, especially after the Holland game. That game and all the shithousery involved in that game, once they started being a bunch of knobs with like 20 minutes to go, all I could think about was come on Holland. Um, so no, not particularly happy that Argentina have won. Uh, we obviously as England uh, fans, well, me more so maybe, uh, have history there. So no, not happy that Argentina won particularly. <laughs> I thought he wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, right, what else has been going on that we can talk about? Uh, England. That that's my oh. one. Give me give me twenty seconds because this is one you could go a long way on. So give me you know just adjectives on England. Not not we don't need to spend. We could do an hour on Harry Kane being useless, but uh, twenty seconds. Underperformed, uh, manager overrated, um, vibes positive, future <laughs> bright, um, Euros incoming. Very good. Perfect. I love that. There we go. What about that? Yeah. Kept it to a little two word sentence. That's, that's just it. That's what this, this uh, little 20 second segment's about. So, uh, yeah, nothing that I uh, disagree with in there. Nothing I disagree with in there at all. Um, okay, right. I've, I've got one for you here. This one will be, I guess, more of a statement, and then I'll let you um, come back on it from there. Uh, Newcastle United, second best team in the league. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Um, no. There you go. <laughs> That's, don't need. Don't need twenty seconds. I'm just going to go. Just leave no. those nineteen. I'm just, yeah. Just going to go. No. Um, but that is interesting and yeah maybe when we're talking more about uh, recent times and uh, and about the Arsenal in a bit we'll we'll come on to that and I can elaborate more for, so for my 20 seconds I'm just going to say no okay fair enough um, ooh, okay what else has been going on okay yeah here we go I've got a good one for you you'll like this one Gianni Infantino um, the egg Can man, do it in the man with the, the head of an egg. Um, I'm going to say lovely trainers. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed his trainers. I don't know why everyone was so down on them. Everybody likes Dan Smiths. Um, I mean, mate, you've had some shocking footwear choices in your time, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a lot of negativity towards him from this country, but 
the rest of the world seems to like him quite a lot. Um, so a bit of a divide there. But yeah, uh, all in all, probably a bad man. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think that summarization would cover if we said UEFA as well. Like, it's a. Or, or would you have different things? Uh, sorry, yeah, FIFA even. Um, I mean, they're both terrible. Um, would you have different things to say? Or would you kind of say the same thing? You like all the FIFA trainers and their Rolexes that they all get and uh, their lovely posh uh, seats that they have at the football? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all a bit grubby, isn't it? You know, football's... Um sold itself out a long time ago here's one from you I'll follow, I'll follow one then from this one um, mm-hmm. Arsene Wenger at FIFA thoughts on that painful don't like it not a huge fan he has always been a person who is loyal to his employer and to have him now be loyal to said grubby institution it isn't great it doesn't tarnish him too much for me, but there is a, you know, it's what tarnishes him more is maybe the eight years of uh, stagnation than FIFA, but it still, it hurts a little bit. Okay. Pretty concise. I'll give you that. I think it might have been 21 seconds, but. Oh my. Well, your first one was like 40. So, you know, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, That was a good one. I like that one. And yeah, we might even touch on him a bit more again when we come back to main Arsenal chat. Uh, Qatar is my next one. Um, World Cup seemed to go off without real issues once it got started. Um, Obviously, a load of negativity in the build-up to it. But the actual tournament looked from the outside on TV fantastic. Stadium's incredible. Um... Yeah, saw no complaints while the game was on, while the games were on. But obviously a lot of issues outside of football there. Yeah. I mean, we you say no, no complaints while the football was on. I mean, there'll be plenty of uh, football fans who were thirsty uh, after the two days before the cup, they decided that no alcohol would be served. And what a poke in the eye that would have been for FIFA um, to all but had everything going um, and, and ready to go. And then all of a sudden, one of their major sponsors is then poked in the eye. But it's it's the bed that they got into, so they can't then not expect to get Dutch ovened every once in a while by, by the person they're sharing that bed with, I guess. And um, I don't know if you saw um, old school... But this is what's happening because your phone is right next to your microphone. It's picking up the old school. <laughs> I haven't heard that noise since the Nokia days. Are you are you running a Nokia? No, not at all. <laughs> when you know when you used to like have a hi-fi on in your room as a kid and you're not giving you'd hear you knew there was a text message coming before it actually then hit your phone yeah yeah that, that was the noise that Still i was just hearing noise. through your mic <laughs> how, no- how nostalgic that was um what was i saying yeah so you look at like um budweiser i don't know if you saw their tweets at the time and they had warehouses of budweiser and they were like uh we need to give this away. I can't remember what they did to give it away, but they gave it away to people. 
Um, and yeah, I just, it really pained me this whole World Cup, um, just in general. The football, like you say, was good. That that side of it was the only thing that was good, I think. I don't particularly remember any major controversies in in the games and stuff. It's just everything around it. And we talked about it while uh, the group stage was on and, and I was on, on holiday. And it just, I'm scared that that level of corruption could then reach an average Premier League game, you know, Arsenal against Newcastle or or whatever. And that that's what I fear for the most with what we're seeing with these tournaments, these organizations and stuff like that. That's that's what I fear the most is that and even foreign ownership. It doesn't necessarily have to be foreign ownership. I mean, take the Juventus case study from a few years back. Um it could easily be uh you know, local ownership that is bent. And I just, I would hate to think that something that we care a lot about as a sport is tainted. The competition on the pitch is tainted. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I agree with those sentiments. I I do think that the situation is, I think I said this to you, um, during the time but the sort of the horse has bolted I think on that and you've got I can't remember who uh, what leagues do it but I know Serie A play their um, Super Cup match um, abroad now I'm sure I'm sure once they stop um, paying off the Wembley debts that that will happen to us as well and we'll be playing the Community Shield in Saudi Arabia and um or wherever, you know, South Africa, wherever it may be. But, um, yeah, I feel like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. The Super League is another thing that, you know, we've managed to hold off on it for a little while. But to me, it's inevitable. Um, mm. It will happen. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll all have to go along for the ride because we want to watch our team play and um, whatever you think of these tournaments, whatever you think of the way that things are being done, Football fans are sadly stuck because the the product, the service, whatever it is, is is our team, and wherever our team goes, we have to go and watch them. Um, somebody's going to be there. Yeah. So it, it's a really difficult one, and it's um, I guess it happens slowly, and it's not always fans are not always able to stop these things in processes because they happen slowly. But um, yeah, we're we're seeing it happen. It's happened in other leagues and it will happen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's inevitable, sadly. On that bright note, let's uh, bring it back to just the last couple of um, little topics to finish off. Who's go with it? Do you remember? I've, I've, I've lost our sync. Um, I think it might be you. Might me to suggest? You to suggest, go on. Okay, go on go then. On, you go. And you know that I feel strongly on this one, but I'm going to ask it to you. Ronaldo. Wow, 20 seconds. 20 seconds to use as many swear words that are negative against Ronaldo as as possible. I am glad that he's tarnishing his legacy. I've enjoyed the absolute meltdown of his loyal fan base. Uh, I'm glad that he has bottled it. 
and won't be playing in Europe anymore and that Messi has finally solidified himself as the goat of our generation. Lovely. Yep. Guy's an idiot. I mean, the only thing I would pull Messi up on is the fact that he hasn't done it other than at Barcelona. Um, I, I don't even count France. Um, we know that when he came up against the best teams in Europe for Barcelona, he still single-handedly could blow them away. Um, but it would have been nice to have seen him in a really competitive league season when he was still, you know, 28, 29, something like that, 30 even, in England. I, th- I would have loved to have seen that. For but, Arsenal. Yeah. Yes, obviously. Obviously. Yes, I wouldn't have loved to have seen it at City. That would have been painful. Um, Paul, have you got any, any more? Um, I might as well give you um, a really impossible task. And <laughs> can you do 20 seconds on um, on VAR? Ooh. Uh, I guess the current, talk, current VAR situation. Premier League VAR? Are we talking World Cup VAR? Because, <laughs> yeah, because it, there are two different types of VAR, basically. There are two different types. Let's go Premier League. Premier League VAR. Okay, 20 seconds. Right. Uh, let me have a moment here to kind of uh, organise my thoughts. Okay, go. Um, shocking. Useless. Operated by morons. Um often irregular in decision outcomes. Um, I really appreciated VAR finally saying that the Martinelli goal was totally and utterly should have stood against Man United. Yeah, we all knew that. Um, What else for VAR? Quickly sneaking in before the end. Yeah, I just think it's bollocks. And now they're slightly tweaking it halfway through the season, which again brings the competition I think into disrepute if even whether it's bad uh, sorry I'm expanding here even when the VAR the decisions that we've seen pre-World Cup were bad and now they've had a directive to kind of lay off and get less involved well now you're changing something halfway through a season and so what was a decision for one team in the first 15 games of the season now isn't a decision in the last half of the season that is moving the goalposts. Yeah. Um, I thought you might go longer than 20 seconds there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that was like it a minute. I think I that. did well to kind of keep it to a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Um, I, I sort of agree with those. We've seen this weekend as well in the FA Cup some strange decisions of goals being allowed or disallowed that are very similar. Um, and yeah, c- there continues to be that irregularity about the way that it's used and the, the confusion about it. But um, well, this is, is the life problem. with VAR, right? It's operated by people and people have a different view of things. You just, you just can't get away from it. Even if you have someone who, like you and I, we agree on quite a lot, especially when it comes to football, but there are occasions where we do really disagree on some things. And this is just it. It's subjective. Like, I might approach... There was an incident, and I I brought it up in one of our pods uh, a while ago, that I absolutely did not think that Casemiro's goal against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the last minute, I do not think that was over the line. 
And we looked at the the new graphics that they did during the World Cup for how they have kind of like a uh, a barrier almost very Krypton factor esque, and you know whether the hand or the knee or whatever or the ball has broken this this force field that they had put up. And for me, that's still from the video footage to the computer generated image, where the computer generated image showed a gap of green grass between the line and the ball, yet the still of exactly the same shot from uh, the camera shows to me that the ball circumference is still leaning over the line and there is zero gap. There's no green grass uh, in between the ball and the line. Like, And this is why, he, you know, one day you referee a game, you're going to referee it different to me if I refereed the same game. And that that is human nature and we have to allow for that. Um. But it's hard. It's hard to sit there and watch when things are wrong. And that, for me, like I say, that's hairline tiny difference um, to use big instances. I haven't actually seen the Wolves one or any of the ones that you mentioned from the Cup. I kind of watched a couple of the games skimming through them yesterday, but I haven't seen um, a lot of the Cup. The other thing is, if we are using VAR in the Cup at the grounds that have it, you've then got grounds like say Coventry played Wrexham yesterday they won't have VAR will they so it also makes the competition unfair why should some games have it and other games not yeah um, I think I I think I disagree on that last point just because if the game if both teams in that game have VAR available at the ground and it's working properly then I don't think there's any issue with with that. If it's not available at another ground and both teams don't have it at the other ground, then that's that's football. That's the way it is, especially in the cup. I think use every advantage we can. And VAR should be an advantage to making decisions correct, should be if it's implemented properly. So where we do have it, I think we should use it. Where we don't have it, then we don't have it. I get that. But um, I do think that referees... PGMOL need to come out and explain some of the decisions, if not all of the decisions, and make a statement on why they change things, why they haven't changed things, what they've seen. And that should be available then to fans, to the other teams, to to supporters, to, to read after the game. It doesn't have to be a live interview with a referee. I get the reason why they don't have that but there should be written explanations about these decisions so that they're clear and we're not left confused. Um, okay. The other thing we've seen over in, in these, I mean, we had one, and I'm sure we'll get into football a little bit in a, in a broader sense in a moment, but we had one in the Liverpool game yesterday where the TV cameras haven't got the picture to show whether the the player is is um, onside or offside. But we just have to believe that VAR has an image that we don't have that tells them that that um, Wolves goal was offside because all the pictures we can see um, and all the pictures that the broadcasters have, it looks onside. So, you know, there there has to be sharing of information and there has to be clarity over what we're doing. Otherwise, it just leads to so much frustration among fans and it's great to have a debate about decisions in football when it's 
something that's subjective, but when it's something that should be clear, and that's the whole purpose of the system, they should be faultless, the same as like Hawkeye is in tennis or in, in cricket. Um, we can't be, we can't have debates over whether the technology is correct or whether it's being implemented properly. That's to me is absolute madness. Yeah. Um, so it just, they, they need to rethink the way they're using it and then they need to clarify every decision they make with it so that everybody's sure that we're on a level playing field when this, this decisions are being made and make sure that referees and the VAR people are being held accountable for, for what they do. One of the things I've always disliked or wanted to see at least in the Premier League's adaptation of VAR, when they do draw the lines for offside, there have been times where I'm like, that line, to me, looking at it, even if we do have that camera angle that's dead in line and we can see it, and I'm like, it's either on or off, you, you make your decision, and then the line shows you it's the opposite of what you thought. If you you have, obviously, the football picture is rectangular. If at any point you draw a line, let's say the groundsman, for example, he's drawing the halfway line. If he starts in one place but then walks two yards to the right while he crosses the pitch, the line is wonky. How do we, because they do this zoom-in thing where we then only look at the players involved in what is offside or not, how do we know that these lines aren't bloody wonky? I want to see like a guideline. So it's like a, a letter I, capital letter I, if you will, where they've got a line that runs the touchline as well to show that that line is on the right axis. It's not a couple of degrees off axis to allow a decision to go one way or the other. Now, this is me going deep not necessarily on conspiracy theory. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it. That doesn't mean people haven't, but I haven't heard it. But that, for me, is something that I've always thought. I want to see and know that that line that they're drawing is 100% straight because you can go off track with a line. And I'm sure they've got computers that are doing all this stuff, but I'd still love to see it. And I'd love to see that rule run over all previous decisions and then going back to a point you just made as well about coming out talking about things so let's say Arsenal lose this year's Premier League uh, title on goal difference by one goal and we've already got the admission that Gabriel Martinelli's goal should have stood what what do we do with that then how do we how do we fix that you did something wrong and we should have an extra goal in our tally. Let's yeah. not even get into, should we maybe have then had three points? You still don't know how the game might have gone, and we could have ended up with three red cards, and we still could have lost. Um, but that goal is something that is black and white and is definitive that we all felt should have stood at the time, and they're now saying, also, yes, that should have been a goal. What if that one goal costs us? And they've made yeah. that ad, that ad, uh, admission that they got that wrong. Yeah, it's it surprised me when they released those statements. I think it was was there five or six goals or six instances they six instances um, they said yeah. they said that they'd got wrong. It surprised me. It's it's one of those. It almost makes you feel worse that you now have that information. Like you say, <laughs> yeah. that nothing is nothing is being done about it, but. This is a step in the right direction, admitting some mistakes, rather than 
I mean, I always get I always get frustrated when you have the um, they cut to the referees on you know whatever channel it's on. I can't remember what what two idiots they have. Oh, Dermot Gallagher. They always per- back the referees on the pitch, yeah. and they never see any common sense. And for me, that's completely pointless as well because if you're just going to back the referee rather than um, you know really discuss the event. In, in real terms, in real football terms, then there's no point having someone there. Um, so coming out and admitting that there's some mistakes and that there's human error, fantastic. I think it should happen a little bit quicker. It shouldn't be halfway through the season we admit to six mistakes that we've we've done because we've been able to review it. I don't know whether that's something to do with the change and um, Howard Webb coming in and being involved in it and maybe there will be some more um, transparency with what they do now he's in charge. Um, we can only hope, but yeah, the, the system yeah, is massively, for massively flawed. It, it is. And the so here's a good in, uh, thing to maybe bring up. World Cup, they did the whole let's add on all the time that the ball isn't in play. Um, now we're not implementing that across the Premier League uh, halfway through the season so why are we changing how VAR is implemented halfway through a season because I would have loved to have played the other 37 minutes that should have been played uh, the other night against Newcastle (laughs) like I would love to have seen 30 minutes go up at the end of that game to say yeah you're right Newcastle spent most of it doing nothing Um, so here's an extra 30 minutes have at it um so this is what i mean right it's just so stupid the people who um make the rules enforce the rules are the guardians of our game and they're just doing it wrong like i'm all for change and for seeing things progress but i also like to be fair i want um anything in life that I do. I want people to have the same opportunity, the same fairness. So for me, whatever the rules were and how they were implemented in game implemented in game week one should be how they're implemented up until game week 38. Even yeah. if you have identified oh, yeah. that there are flaws. Yeah, completely agree. Um, completely agree. And on the additional time thing, I would I like that. Um, implementation in the World Cup I thought it made a lot more sense rather than some of the random amounts of time we seem to be seem to be getting or we, we got used to if there was loads of time wasting it would be five or six minutes and you'd never get any more than that no matter what mm-hmm. was going on in a game so it makes sense I think again this is one where my, my thoughts and I, I don't want to keep adding technology to things because I know that it can go wrong and we have so many frustrations with the AI and stuff now and, and whatever, but I would like there just to be a stopwatch and it doesn't have to be done by the referee. It can be done yeah. by the fourth official. It can be done digitally. Or just a timekeeper. But whenever there's a, a stop in the game that isn't, um, you know, the ball going out of play. Yeah. If there's a stop for an injury, if there's a stop for substitution, if there's a stop when there's a goal, the clock stops. Yeah. Um, kind, or kind the clock like continues basketball. and you have a have an additional time thing and it would yeah. clear up for me any time wasting immediately and like I say in the Premier League there's no reason why they couldn't do that tomorrow um, they shouldn't because it's midway through the season but for the start of next season I'd love to see something like that implemented I think it would 
you know, clear up um, a lot of the issues. And, you know, the ball would be more in play by teams because they'd realise that what they were doing was going to get punished. And um, if the if the clock stopped rather than having additional time, it would also change the way that games are played because how many times do we get to, like, the 88th minute and we don't know how much injury time there's going to be. So we've mm-hmm. been panicking for five minutes about, you know, we haven't got long to try and score a goal or equalise or hold on to this victory. And then we see there's another six minutes and there's that extra sort of panic. Why not just have the clock stops and you know that when you get to 45... So you'd rather it was like rugby where the ref turns the clock off? Yeah, that would be perfect for me. That that, that makes sense to me. I think I'd go the opposite. I liked more what you were saying about like, we just have an independent timekeeper uh, separate to the ref and at the end of each half they then say right yeah there's nine minutes to add on here um i think i would still because that would be more football still i think i would prefer it that way that there's a an independent timekeeper that's like yeah there's 12 minutes to add on here um instead of the clock stopping because say with rugby for example when they do turn the clock off to look at tmo or, or whatever it is they might have turned it off for you can lose the momentum. I still want that clock ticking down to keep the players going and to keep that momentum going as much as possible, even with the dark arts of slowing the game down and stopping the clock, if you will, uh, as a turn of phrase, to um, to disrupt, disrupt rhythms and stuff. Um, yeah, I think the, pr- the Premier League sponsored like by... Um, sponsored by Hublot, isn't it? They, Hublot they, or Their watch is about 60 grand, aren't they? Surely they yeah, can knock up they'd... a watch that does that in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, one that stops and starts. Yeah, yeah. with a little spinning uh, spinning thing on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a couple of diamonds. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that would be good to see. Um, I think that covers a lot of what's happened in the break. Um, I don't think there's anything else that I can think of that happened at the World Cup that's worth talking about. Other than uh, Arsenal players playing at the World Cup, just short and special mentions, Bukayo Saka scoring three goals. Well done, young man. Um, Gabriel Jesus, unfortunately, getting injured. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli playing a little bit. William Saliba not playing much at all. Um, Who else was there for us? Granit Xhaka getting stuck in and was it one of the group games he, he got a bit a bit tasty um, yeah, I didn't did. actually I didn't see what it was actually but uh, I, I just remember seeing a he- headline about it and who else is the World Cup for us who am I forgetting who am I missing uh, Matt Turner Matt Turner um, who had a good tournament he had a good tournament he did, he did well it was impressive he made a lot of good I didn't see the Holland game but I hear he made a lot of good saves in that game um and obviously Ramsdale didn't get on the pitch, but uh, he was there as well. So just a shout out to all of our, our boys. Thomas Partey, uh, obviously. Do, Partey, yeah. Did he score? Uh, Did he I don't know. I don't really want to talk about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, right, just a question. He either did or he didn't score. <laughs> I can't remember. remember I've, I was... uh, I've blanked, blanked those three games out of my mind. Okay, fair enough. I didn't, I didn't see any Ghana games actually like the first week and a half of the World Cup for me was was a blur I was in Mexico so um, I didn't really see any of it 
and apart from Mexico, Argentina, and uh, that was that was fun and interesting being in a crowd of Mexicans watching that game. It's interesting how different countries support football and watch football differently. Um, the passion behind defending something so that the opposition only get a corner and the relief across Mexico every time they manage to repel Argentina and uh, and you know get the ball out for a corner or for a throw in or something um so yeah it, it was just funny and interesting kind of being around other football fans from other parts of the world so uh, that was good um do we want to move on to talking about the resumption of the Premier League and the Arsenal now yeah, let's let's move on because I think we've we've done enough there. We've co- we've covered world football. Um, nice and, one. And the the major stories. Okay, well, stand by. We'll uh, take a quick break here, and we'll be back shortly talking about our beloved Arsenal. Welcome back, everyone, to the second part of our show. We're going to talk about the resumption of the Premier League. Uh, We'll talk about the Arsenal. We'll also talk about the fact it's January. So the January transfer window is upon us. Uh, Lots of things being mentioned, lots of clickbait headlines out there for us all to uh, get frustrated about. So, as usual, we'll just uh, jump in like a two-footed Martin Keown tackle and uh, crack on with it. So, Chris... Were you nervous about the break? Were you nervous about how we would restart the season? And where are you now? With three three games in now, aren't we? Since we've come back, where are yeah, you feeling now? In. I think, like everybody, that it was the great unknown, wasn't it? Going into this period, you didn't know how players were going to respond, whether they were at the World Cup or not. Um, so I was really nervous coming back. Um, all the way up until probably a day before the West Ham game, I was thinking that as much as I was looking forward to having football back and Premier League football back, I was worried that we could drop points immediately and then the season would go down the toilet within a few weeks and it would be a completely different showing. Um, but I think by the day of the West Ham game, all the faith had come back. I started to think about how well we'd be playing and that it wasn't just results we were getting it was performances and um that the players that we were going to put out for that game was going to be essentially the same team that that we finished that that first piece of the series uh this piece of the season with um so I wasn't too worried going into it um I know we spoke about the Gabriel Jesus um situation and about how we thought Eddie would get on and um, I guess we'll come to that in a moment as well. But what was your feelings going into that um, resumption of the Premier League? Were you n- as nervous as I was for that period or are you, you confident? I don't think... No, nervousness wouldn't be the right term and neither would confidence. I, I was just on the... on the fa- I didn't know. I was in the middle. I just didn't know what we were going to get. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be really good. I didn't know if it was going to be really bad. I didn't know if it was going to be slow starting um or what but uh like you say even though in that first half we obviously conceded the goal to West Ham um 
the performance was there and I was just like, oh yeah, they are, they are purring. I think one thing for me during that off season time was seeing that Erdegaard was already playing well and, and just how important he is for us. Everybody's important. We can't, you can't do well in this day and age of the Premier League without nine or 10 players playing well. It's not like the old days where you just needed one or two players to play well and, and if they played well enough and their talent was that great. You know, we we could, even in our Invincible era, we could rely on Perez or Henri to just have a brilliant game and the rest not so much and we'd win a game. You can't do that now, even even with people of the level of their talent. So, um, yeah, it was good to see that everyone was able to come back and, and be pulling in the same direction and at that high level. Do you, do you think any team in the Premier League has been affected noticeably by the World Cup break? For me, it just seems like everybody's just slotted back in to the same patterns as they were. Um, you know, even even the players, like Haaland not playing for all that time, came back and scored within however many minutes it was. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't look rusty at all. Like you say, Odegaard, um, even, you know, obviously he played the few friendlies, but he he looked great straight away. Um, even like, yes, was it yesterday? Alexis McAllister, who's been on the piss in Buenos Aires for a, <laughs> the last two weeks, came back and scored two goals. I did like it. Yeah, it's almost like it hasn't really affected anybody. They were going to be playing matches. They've played matches and, you know, there's not really been that change in anybody's performance, whether it be individual or team. Uh, yeah, I, I I would agree. I think the one good thing about the World Cup was that it was all in one city. If you'd have had a winter World Cup, but for example, you took it to back to Brazil, was it 2012? No, when was that? It was 2014 in Brazil. And where you had such huge distances being covered, you know, changing hotels, all this kind of stuff for the teams. I think that would have caused much more upheaval for the Premier League season than basically uh, picking a country, well, buying a country that then has gone and built however many stadiums that now are going to just sit there and go dormant because what are they going to do with all those stadiums in the middle of one city? I mean, even London, uh, like only places like London would have use for all of those nice brand new stadiums. Um, And that helped because like you say, we would have been playing matches anyway. Often as we go through uh, November, December, it, fixtures pile up you've got european games still um even till the first week of december and you're traveling so yeah i can't i'm just trying to run through the league in my head and i can't think of a team that looks like they haven't picked up from where they left off like southampton still struggling west ham still struggling uh city able to keep going arsenal able to keep going newcastle able to keep going um middle table teams like Chelsea uh still struggling with what they're trying to do it doesn't look like um it, that's one of the weird ones for me i know chelsea had quite a few players at the world cup as well but potter doesn't look like he for example has figured out how to play his players still and he's had all this time to sit there and figure it out yeah um that yeah 
that's that's one where we we could do a long chat on Chelsea and we shouldn't because this is, you know, an Arsenal podcast, but we could have a long chat about Chelsea and the situation they're in, um, what they're trying to do and, and everything about that club is really interesting, whether mm-hmm. you're um, invested in them doing well or invested in them struggling for as long as possible um, as we are. But um, yeah, certainly on pitch, Potter hasn't got them playing the sort of football that I could imagine he wanted them to play. And um, yeah, they've they've been thrashed again today in the FA Cup against yep. our next opponents. Yes, I saw that we've been well. So long as we beat Oxford, you know, play we've got to we've got to keep the mantra of Arsenal. We're only playing the next game. Oh yeah, so, sorry, yeah, forgot that. And and we are wearing these cursed white shirts. So uh, let's see if we can do a better job than we did against Forest last year. Um, but yeah. I think I think you're right. I think everyone kind of has come back very much the same. There's a few clubs that have got injuries to big players, and we're one of them. Um, I think Richarlison at Tottenham, for example. Uh, who else has had an uh, an injury that off the back of the World Cup? I can't think of any others now that I've said that. Um, we benefited that that gap has allowed time for someone like Smith Rowe who should be playing tomorrow to be ready and available and have not missed what would have been, what, eight, nine games of Arsenal yeah. if we'd have been playing during that time. So yeah. that's a bit of a blessing in in disguise there. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it seems to have not disrupted too much yet. The one thing, I mean, like someone like Van Dyke just pulled up with an injury the other night, didn't he? And people are pointing the fingers at the World Cup and all the playing, and because he's a normally he's a player who escapes without injury, um, he's one of those that doesn't seem to have niggles and issues. I I don't know if I buy into that just yet. Like just because you're a player who historically does do well without injury doesn't mean that he won't eventually. Um, and like we've talked about, players would have been playing anyway. There hasn't been tons of travel because they're all in the same city for the World Cup so I think that is just a a hamstring injury on the face of it and that's just it it's just a hamstring injury it's not a build up of games it's not anything detrimental because of what's happened so far this season yeah I think I mean Liverpool play him every single game anyway so they've put a lot of minutes into his legs um, you know well before the World Cup anyway so I don't think they can be be blaming or anything um, anything that's happened over over there, but um, yeah, uh, it's it's nice for them. It's nice to see other clubs struggling with injuries the way that it feels like we've done so many seasons before in the past, um, and you know we have got one major injury and that's something that's worth discussing. I guess um, that'd be something that we can we can pick up and chat on in a sec, but. Um, I was looking at the amount of minutes. I know you just mentioned that, you know, minutes in legs, maybe not, um, you know, something to look at, but I was looking at the amount of minutes that our players have played this season. And this will lead us on to transfers. It will lead us on to everything this, I think. And I took a look at the top six, sorry, the big six, and how many minutes have been played by um, players. And I took a number, so I went for 
twelve hundred. So I'm assuming minutes. that the big six is Arsenal, City, Fulham, Brighton, uh, Newcastle, and who else? Um, I have actually. I mean, it is actually in the top six at the moment. But <laughs> yeah, so twelve hundred minutes was the gauge. Um, as a I guess as a benchmark, I'll give you one of the other teams that I looked at. So Manchester City have four players who have played 1,200 minutes or more, excluding goalkeeper, um, this season in the Premier League so far. So four players. Mm -hmm. Spurs have three players who have done that. Liverpool have three. Man United have four. Chelsea only have one. We have a nine so yeah. nine of our players have played a lot of minutes already and it feels like we're in a dangerous area at the moment when it comes to the amount of minutes that our players have played and this is why I think it's going to lead into some other discussions on, on players and minutes and, and transfers but um, the stability we've had in able to put out the same lineup has been fantastic Um and that has helped us maybe get to where we are in the league. But we are loading some minutes onto these players. But we're top. So, and those other teams aren't. You look at Chelsea, who are out of all of those teams, are performing the worst, and they had the least player with that amount of minutes. Looking at it scientifically, could you not draw a conclusion that actually having those players who have played that amount of minutes maybe isn't a bad thing. Yeah, the worry I have is, have we gone off in a marathon at, at some unbelievable pace and it's going to hurt us towards the end of the season um, unless we do some some business or unless we're willing to use some of our squad a little bit more. Um, because we've got, we, we've had games where we've been in control, where we still haven't seen the likes of Lukonga, um and haven't seen the likes of El Nenny or Cedric or whoever it may be, um, players who are sort of fringe or not quite, we're not quite sure about. And there's been opportunities maybe to to give a little bit more of a rest to, to some of our starters. I don't know. What, what would you think on this? I think it can go both ways, to be honest. Like I say, you could look at it and say it's working for us because we are where we are in the league right now. But yeah, when we watch every every game and so on, I think it is clear and obvious we need uh, reinforcements. The Newcastle game the other day, you know, everyone's talking about we needed someone to bring off the bench uh, to have changed the game. You know, we, in even in the best of our eras, we have had those players. It's not always a given that they are then going to change that game. So we need to realise that's not just a, a, a given right that just because you have a good player on the bench that they will automatically come off the bench and score. So... Um, you know, we've had a fit Smith Rowe come off the bench. We've hoped that he can score us a winning goal, and it hasn't happened in the past. Um, so I do don't particularly like that narrative, but we definitely need more 
um, more players. And I was explaining this to to Frankie last night as we were watching um, the Coventry Wrexham game. And I don't know if you've watched the uh, documentary with them, with Wrexham, that is, with the whole being um, on TV, being Ryan Reynolds' team and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that has all come from they've got players that Frankie recognised and some of them weren't playing. And so I was kind of talking about it and she was like, oh, it's unfair that the players that they started with now aren't there and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, but it's kind of like Zinchenko and Kieran Tierney, for example, where Zinchenko's come in and taken that spot and it's on Tierney to up his game. And you need players that are going to react in that way, that players are going to react and be like, yep, yeah, I want to fight and I want that spot, which then elevates the level of both players, which means it elevates the level of the team. Um, so we were discussing that when it comes to transfers, some people seem worried that we would maybe then buy a person who displaces a Martinelli or displaces an Enketia or even a Bukayo Saka. Um, but to win or to be competitive, and to be competitive means to be in a title race for me, to be that, you need players like that. We had players that could come in um, in years gone by and be just as reliable. They might not have the same flair. Like, for example, if you put Ray Parler on the right on for Freddie Lundberg, he didn't have the same flair, but he, he was of such a level that he could do a job. Um, if you had Jose Antonio Reyes playing instead of Dennis Burkamp, uh, again, different type of player but still had such capabilities that they could do what we were requiring so we do need to go out and get players to flesh out this squad we I think are seeing that Arteta isn't particularly maybe even impressed is the right word with what he's got at the moment Um, the fact that we didn't make any changes attacking in the Newcastle game I think said a lot that one, we didn't have anything to come on and change it, but two, also we didn't want to lose what we had as well. Everyone's talking about, you know, Newcastle came and then wanted to hold on for the last little bit because Arsenal were trying to their best. But I think there was a bit of that there for us too. The whole, if you can't win the game, don't lose it. Yeah. So uh, it, it's an interesting one. I I think it goes both ways. I do think we have a thin squad. That's that is clear. You look City are now in the position where they've since their uh purchase and them having money, they went out and they bought players for big amounts of money, you know, the the times of like Benjani. I think we were talking about this the other day uh, off air in, in messages. I can tell you're watching football. You've been watching that more than me. I'm very upset. <laughs> I'm watching, um, speaking of transfers, I'm watching Jao Felix play against oh, okay. Barcelona. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so maybe we'll come on to that in a minute. Good good segue there, Christopher. Um, <laughs> it's research. So, yeah, yeah research. Uh, what the hell was I saying? I'm completely off it now. Um, I, I just had to lost it all now we should just quit I, I don't want to do a podcast anymore 
<laughs> um, I think I was talking about uh, not losing the game, etc., etc. No, I've completely lost it. Completely lost it. I'll, I'll only hear it now back in the edit. So it's ruined I think, it. I think I think you've made your point. I think you've made your point. Um, <laughs> you're just saying that because you don't know what the point was either because you're watching the football. <laughs> we should talk transfers because, um, well, because it's interesting, right? It's kind of fun to talk about transfers and we're in a period that we've just said we need, we do need some reinforcements. I don't know how you want to attack this. Um I don't know whether we should just jump into a player that you've been talking about for a little bit um, of time and the one that I'm not um, completely sold on. Yeah, we or talk whether about we should just look at the, the general general feeling about things. Well, I think uh, first off, we can start with where we need a player oh. and and that is across our front line. We, we know that, especially with the injury to Jesus. So we know we need someone to help what we've got up there. I just, I do want to say a, a quick part that, I personally believe that Eddie can do it and he's what two and three goal uh, two goals in three games he yeah. is doing it and the fact that our team in two of those three games the whole front three all scored each is just phenomenal like you can't wish for anything more sure a 30 well let's be honest a 45 goal a season striker like Haaland um is great but it's kind of nice to see it shared about a bit as well. Something a bit more teamy about that. So yeah, Mudrik is someone that has been talked about for Arsenal since the summer. Uh, you were a Gakpo guy. He's now uh, a, a red. Um, and you were very upset about that. Personally, I'm not upset about that whatsoever. Um, but it's the it's what's going on around this transfer. So everyone knows that we want Mudrik. Everyone knows that Mudrik wants Arsenal. Everyone knows that Shakhtar are smoking something because they're and they want the best money that they can get, and they're quoting ridiculous numbers based upon Man United's recklessness in the transfer window with signing Anthony. Uh, they're basing it upon someone like Jack Grealish, who is a different player, and a, the English tax they're not taking into account. By all of this, we want a hundred million. Like, no, I'm sorry, no chance. Um, the extra bits to muddy the water is now Chelsea doing what they did in the summer and they clearly have no idea who they want or what they want, so they'll just go after everybody, um, which is a hilarious tactic that can, I, I can only see getting even worse for them. The amount of players that they are either after or that they are buying, I just it feels very disjointed. Again, you said we could go into a whole show about that, but we won't for now. Um, so Chelsea are now in the mix, which means Shakhtar have a slightly stronger stance. But at what point are we going to get to the player um, says no? This this is what I want this is what you have to do and, and kind of forces it through, says, I'm not going to play for you. I'm not going to do this. Um, and kind of Rafinha is it. You know, we saw it with Rafinha. He he wanted Barca in the summer. The Leeds got acceptable numbers from Chelsea. I don't think we matched it at that point because we just knew that the player wanted Barca out of the choices available. So we just left it alone. But Chelsea had a fee agreed and the player 
then went dead quiet, as did the club, uh, because Deco was working to get Barcelona to match the offer so that he could then go to um, to them. I think that's yeah. the situation we are headed for, and I think that this situation will now drag on longer than I wanted it to. We were talking just a few days ago. It would be nice to have it done by the end of this week or the beginning of next. I now, with everything that's going on around it and with you know the Shakhtar CEO going to the Chelsea game and all of these tactics, which is what it is. It's all negotiation tactics, which is fair enough. They want to get the best for a, an asset of theirs. But they are living in in dreamland. We should not be paying a hundred million. I think even sixty feels like a lot. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I now think this one's going to be dragged out, and I think we're going to have to rely on the player to uh, point out that if Shakhtar don't let him go this window, that that is going to be bad for them and him, um, and that he won't be a happy bunny around the camp, and that then they can accept the offers that we come in with because I don't think personal terms are an issue and I don't see him doing a Gakpo of clearly having no allegiance of really where he wanted to go um, and just picking whichever team actually came in and paid the money for him and that's also where we should be putting the the money like you're like yeah you're talking about like Anthony going to Man United and Jack Grealish but we'll look at Gakpo going to Liverpool and he's of that similar category to Mudrick if you ask me so we'll see I hoped it was going to be quick but I don't think it will be now I think it's going to be an end of January thing now at best but we've only got two league games and this FA Cup game tomorrow Yeah, in January it's not like we've got a stacked calendar they're two very big league games two very big league games um, you know the scum away and, and United at home and obviously we'd love to have the best team that we can for those games. Maybe for the home game, what the uh, PGMOL are going to do is give us a 1-0 head start against United uh, <laughs> as, as a gift for the mistake that they made. Um, yeah, um, I don't think hope. we particularly need it, but it, maybe that's what they'll do. So that's where I am on the, on the Gakpo from what I can read in between the lines of what looks to be happening, the noises coming Madrid, out you mean, of... Because you just... You, you've got, sorry, you've got uh, Gakpo on the brain now. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Mudrik, yeah. Sorry, my apologies. Based upon what Shakhtar are saying, based upon what the player is posting online, and based upon what Arsenal are doing, that is where I see us. It's going to be a protracted one, but the player yeah. wants Arsenal. We don't want to pay over the odds. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I won't go into detail on on him because you've you've covered that situation quite well. I do think that, and this is something I've said to you before. I, I trust our recruitment process. I trust the talent ID people, and I trust that they're going to make good decisions when it comes to signing players because recent records have been good. Um, it's never going to be a hundred percent, and. Even when you sign a player who may be really good, they might not get opportunities at the right time. The game state can change the the moments they come on and uh, their relationship with the, the fans can change in an instant because of something that they do or because they don't get an opportunity to do something. So 
I don't think transfers can be 100% yes and no, but I think they've been really good. So I trust that. Um, when it comes down to signing a player, for me, at the level we're at, if we think that Mudrik is the player that we want who's going to change this team and give us something that we don't have and that his skill set and his personality and everything about it is right for us, as long as you can afford it without bankrupting the club, I think you do the deal. Mm-hmm. I think that's what big clubs do. I think that's what, for example, Man City did with, with Grealish. I don't think on paper many people thought Grealish was worth the money they paid. No. I don't think his performances have shown that he's worth that amount of money. But Guardiola seems to absolutely love the guy, even though I don't think he seems to do much on the pitch. Um, but he seems to fit exactly the player he wanted. He didn't want the Sterling player, he wanted the Grealish player, and he uh, th- that's the player they went out and got, and they paid whatever they had to do to get him. Mm-hmm. I think if we want to be at the top table, then there comes a point where you have to do that, and you have to say, I guess the same with Man United, um, with Anthony. They've probably overpaid, but if he's the player they believe in and when you're at the absolute elite of football, there aren't many of these players around. If they think he's the right one, then they go and get him because they can afford to do it. And that's the price that you have to pay. And they go and get you, you know, whenever they possibly can. If we miss out on Mudrick and he goes to Chelsea for the sake of 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, for me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Unless there is a, a secondary option that we think, well, this guy's as good and he fits the profile as well and we'll go and get him. But if you're going to the player second on the list and you're thinking he's not really who we wanted, we want the, the other guy, but we're not going to do that deal because it's a little bit more expensive than we wanted to do it, for me, it doesn't make any sense. Yep, agreed. Um, so uh, for me, if we want this player, I'm not, I'm not convinced by him yet but I believe in the, the talent ID side of, it, of the club, then you just go out and get him and you pay whatever you have to pay to get him and you make sure you get the deal done. It might take us a little bit longer. It might not be done this week. It might be a couple of weeks' time, but I think we will regret it if we don't just pull the trigger on it and he goes somewhere else because we were trying to be a little bit thrifty and we pick up somebody who's not as good. Yeah. And when you talk about there, like picking up on the the second choice option, I don't know if Jao Felix is on that list originally or whether it's just because of the fact he is seemingly available. The money involved with the loan that everyone's talking about for Jao Felix, um, that would be mental. That, like, again, Atletico, uh, because they know English clubs are involved, they are trying to inflate all of this stuff and it is ridiculous we shouldn't pay 20 million for a player that we're going to get for five months who may take a month to settle who may not join until the end of the month anyway um so i think there again that will be a case of atletico in some ways have already weakened their hand by saying how it's nearly untenable for the player to stay so they know they're gonna have to get rid of him and the closer we get to january 31st um, the more that price is going to come down. And I would like to see us in that conversation because 
whether you look at it as Arsenal are ahead of schedule, which I think most of us would all agree we are, um, but that's a great place to find ourselves in. I think we do need to double down and we one player isn't enough. I think because even with Jesus back and let's say a Mudrick added and everyone fit, that's Smith Rowe, that's Erdegaard, Martinelli, Saka, um, and even Vieira, if we can maybe talk about him in a bit. Um, I still think you need players that take you up a notch, which is what City are in the position now. Like I was, uh, That's what I was saying. I remember what I was on about with City now. This See, this is all coming back around full circle. They spent years of buying player for a season. They'd spend 34 million on a Benjani, for example, to get them in for a season, get them up the table a little bit more, make themselves a better proposition. And then they got to a more settled side where each year they only need to add one or two players, 100 million here, 50 million there. Um, and now that's the position that they're in. We still need to build up that amount of people in the squad. But I do think we should do it at more of a clinical level, like what City do now. Even though we still do need maybe numbers, we should only do it one or two at a time that are maybe expensive. And there's no reason that Jao Felix, for example, comes to Arsenal and falls in love with the place. It'd be expensive to then buy, but, you know, we got lucky with Erdegaard. It could happen. It could go the other way. He could turn up to London and be like, no, this isn't my cup of tea. I want to go Italy or something and end up at Juventus. That absolutely could happen as well. But um, you never know. And I, I think it's worth a gamble and I would like to see us do both. I would accept Xiao Felix loan fee and wages at, basically 14 million or less I would say for that and I would be happy with Mudrick at 65-70 max top whack 70 top whack uh, in the words of one of our our friends there Uh, (laughs) if if that's a definite if you know you know I'm not explaining what 70 top whack is but Stretz if you are listening mate uh, I hope you're doing well (laughs) <laughs> 70, <laughs> 70 top whack is um, is what I would like to see the money and what I think would be reasonably fair. I think that is that extra bit of money, like what you were saying, is that that extra 10 million to get the deal done. I would say at 70, regardless of the structure of the deal, if it's 50 and then the rest is add-ons or whatnot, 70 would be where, for me, we are paying that extra 10 million to get the deal done and where it should end up. Um, and we do also need to look at other positions on the, on the pitch going forward, bolstering, uh, you know, we need another backup defender at some point. And that, again, that's summer, but we need another, someone that sits higher than Rob Holding, uh, but somewhere close to the Gabriels and the Salibas and the Ben Whites of our squad, or maybe there's someone who comes in that's even better. Who knows? Um, you and I talked briefly about Declan Rice and if that was a possibility, I personally think he seems like a player who even if Chelsea do languish this season, he would still go there. But there's no reason why we couldn't throw a hat in the ring for someone like him. I think he would do well for us. Uh, Even the Jude Bellingham thing, if we had the money, 
I would throw a hat in the ring. I think he's further down the line with other clubs already. Um, so I'd understand missing out on him too. But yeah, we need to... I'm sure Arteta and Edu probably do already have it. That Like this window, these are the two, three players that we think we can do. Summer, these are the positions and these are the two, three players in each position. Next January already, they're probably looking at players. Oh, if that one progresses like we think they might we should go for them in January and they add what we need. And that's what we're building towards. That's the model that we're building. Our on-field results are currently outperforming where we might have thought we were, though. And it's adding that increased pressure for us to now go out and get deals done for this perception of these two, one or two, three players could see us over the top. Yeah, um, I echo those thoughts on on Declan Rice. He's he's the next one. I think that's. I think we should be doing what we can to try and make that happen in the summer. Um, it looks like he's, you know, he, he's put he's put out a lot in the last few weeks about wanting to play in the Champions League. If he was to leave West Ham and go and play for Chelsea, um, in Europa League or outside of Europe. I think that would put um, a lot of West Ham noses out of joint and I think he would really do himself some harm with the fan base. Um, Does a player I, care I, about he, that he seems, I, I, But I think he's a player who wants to be successful. He doesn't. He's not a player who's just going to go and join a team because they're the ones who, who are going to pay him a little bit more. Otherwise, why not just stay at West Ham? Well, right now, though, and, and this is... Everything you and I always say is always going to have that Arsenal bias... But right now, though, if you're a player joining a team, if you joined Chelsea, do you think that you joining it is going to be that one transformational transfer to make Chelsea uh, a title contender again? Or do you think adding yourself to this Arsenal team gives you a better chance of being part of something good for the next five years? I mean, if he's got... If he's got good advisors around him, you just look very simply at those two situations. And there's one club that's probably a few years away from being where they intend to be, and um, are making. They've made a lot of moves in the transfer window, Chelsea, uh, since the summer. They've they brought a lot of players in, but if I was Declan Rice, would I be looking at? Chelsea and thinking I was going to make a difference to them? I don't think so. Um, I'd be looking at Chelsea's midfield and saying that, I mean, you've got two experienced uh, veteran players in there who are doing what they can. Adding another midfielder in there doesn't seem to do it for me. But if I was looking at the Arsenal team and I was Declan Rice, I'd be thinking there's two players in there who are 30 and... One of them has already been talking about um, moving on from the club in the last few years. I could get in there and, and be um, a game changer for them. And if they get into the, the Champions League, then it, you know that's a, a side I'd want to be part of if I was looking mm-hmm. at it. Um, but who knows? For, for me, we've got a... He's a player who's going to be available in the summer. There's not many clubs who are going to be able to get him. And we should be doing what we can to try and get him there. Um, well, this is it. You've got... if, especially if Bellingham's going to move as well. No club is going to get both of those. So no, 
you but know, it's the, the English tax. How much is if you know again if people are going to be like, oh, Greenish is worth hundred million. Great. What? What? Where do you genuinely think the rice transfer fee will be? I mean, he's he's got eighteen months left on his contract. Um, they have to sell him in the summer if they want any sort of fee for him. Um, so the it's not going to be as there much are teams as with what they thought like it was Chelsea. before. Yeah, but I, I, I look. Uh, who who knows? Who knows? It seems like it seems like it's going to be less than what was being quoted before. Um, so I don't think it will be a hundred million for Declan Rice. Um, mm. I, th- I think it'll be less than that. But okay. like I say, I, I think we have to identify players who are absolutely game changers at the moment and yeah. do what we can to get them. Let's not have um, you know five or six players who are potentially going to be something because we've we've done that and we've got ourselves in an incredible situation by doing that and now we need to start getting more secure and getting some players who are slightly more proven to add to this and then we have something really special and that is the way of football now even in our most successful eras the players that we bought we turned into stars for the most part yeah um the way football is now we do need to buy that emerging talent and we need to buy the established talent so mudrick would be that emerging talent someone like a jao felix is a stalled talent at the moment i would say um but yeah what you're saying is someone who is already that established talent and i would say rice falls into that category because he's a premier league player already we've seen him do it with england um there's a few others out there in Europe. Um, is it Napoli have got? I can't think of his name now. Is it a Serbian midfielder? I can't remember uh, his name. Benicovic Savic at Lazio. Yeah, Lazio, sorry, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of names and players out there like that who would be that established um, person to go and pick up and, and place in the team that we want Arsenal to be a constant threat for the next five years to the cities um, and see what happens. Um, That's all I've got for transfers. I mean, did you want to tell the listeners just how upset you were that Cody Gakpo isn't an Arsenal player? Um, I I really hope that I'm not right about it. I really don't think you are, right mate. About it. I thought he, I thought he looked pretty lively um, in the game they played yesterday. Um, he didn't score, but I, I, I just think he'll be. I think he'll be so good, and um, uh, what a crazy price as well. Yeah, like, well, that's what a normal transfer should be. That's and that for me is the one that, thing I said it to you. It is, but it's, that's... but it's how are they doing that? Like that's where. That's why I'm frustrated to see that we're in this position with Shakhtar, who are dancing around with Chelsea and are saying we want all these 100 million this. And so how is it, how are Liverpool doing business differently to us that they can just, before the windows even open, have got the player and it's just no dramas, just bosh, it's done. Uh, why why are we so different because this isn't the first time this has happened to us it's not even the second also, or third you've also got an example in the summer of them spending crazy money on Darwin 
and us getting Jesus done very quickly or, uh, for, for a lot less. So I, I think it goes back and forth. I, I don't know how they've managed to get this deal done at that price because he only signed a new contract last season, extended the deal he was on. So he had a long contract, the same as um, Mudrik has three years or whatever it is left. Um, I have no no understanding of how they managed to do that one, but um, I think it will be good business for them. Fair enough. What's your just just to finish this this section off? What's your feeling on February the first? Will will we have? I just have a few questions here. Will we have Madrid? Would be question one. Will we have yes. Jar Felix? Question two. Possibly. Yes, and possibly. And will there be a third signing in a midfield or a defending position? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I think I think if we if we land with a yes for Mudrick and a possibly for Jao Felix, I think that uses a lot of money. And in the last couple of years, we have been getting more money from the ownership. We don't know the back end of where that money is and what it's actually costing us. But... Um, I I do think we'll get Mudrick, but I do think we're going to be that will be a day or two before the end of the uh, window, and I think also the Jao Felix thing. At any moment, a team could decide to just uh, yep, yeah, sod it, we'll do it, and that could be a, a Newcastle, that could be a Man United, that could be um, a Chelsea, that could be a City. All four of those teams have the money to just decide to be like yeah sod it all right we'll do it um and whereas we would be a bit more like uh okay well yeah we'll let it go then um so that's why i only say a possibly on that one i i there's been no word as to what the player thinks or wants i don't know if he's looked at us and said anything nice about us or anything like that so that's why i only say possibly that that involves the player wanting to come to us and hopefully he sees a uh a pathway even if he just uses us as a springboard to go to somewhere else to get like a move to Real Madrid or somewhere else um, but hopefully if he did come we could Erdegaard him um, so yeah I say Mudrik yes Felix possibly okay. and no to anyone else yeah well we'll um Fingers crossed they happen sooner rather than later, but I'm sure we'll be kept waiting until um, those last few hours before the window yes. slams shut. Indeed. Um, speaking of windows slamming shut, you completely missed the boat on your fantasy team and, and making a bunch of changes and then wildcarded one week into the second half of the season. Um, do you want to enlighten the listeners as to the genius behind that idea? So I made, so I forgot the first week that football was not, not that football was back, but I forgot to do it because there was there an early game. There was a game on like the day before uh, everybody else. I think yeah, it, it was a me. Friday game. Yeah. So that threw me off. So I thought I cannot miss the next one, otherwise it looks like I'm just taking the piss, and I'm 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 honestly trying to play the game properly. <laughs> so I used the wild card, but I wanted to put Gakpo in. But he wasn't available at that point. But I just thought, I better do it because I'll forget otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I did it. I was happy with my team. And then I forgot again that there was an early game. And um, <laughs> I forgot to just, I forgot to make changes for the, the third game week. <laughs> so I've only actually played one game week properly. Um, but look, I, I've, I've got a much better squad than I had um, before, I believe. Okay. 
Okay. How many Second of you like 150 season, points you. behind, I think, at the minute? Something like that? Well, I'm starting from scratch now. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is the second part of the season. And, so uh, what, I'm you're going to judge you and I by our cumulative points from this point on, are you? I am, yeah. I know the game doesn't do that, but that's the way I'm going to look at it. <laughs> okay. And give right. myself a moral victory at the end. Okay, so where, how far behind you were, how far behind me were you then after the conclusion of the first point of the season? I'm going to start from now because... That's I'm irrelevant. Gonna, that's that's fine that you put... can start from now, but unfortunately, we did also start back in August. Um, you're on nine hundred seventy-eight points to now, and I'm on one thousand one hundred twenty-one. So, you know, nearly one hundred and fifty points. Yeah, a couple of Gakpo, and I, I said to you the other day, I put Gakpo in, thinking he might get his uh, debut last weekend, and thinking that if he did score, and I put him in just how mad that would make you would be hilarious <laughs> so uh i put him in just for that reason alone and i dropped de bruyne which uh i was worried about once gakpo then didn't even play and then i was like oh de bruyne better not have a worldie against chelsea and thankfully he didn't so um but i'll be probably ditching him again and probably bring him de bruyne back i just did it for that one thing just because i could um but yeah, this is it. We are into a new stretch now for fantasy um, and kind of very similar to what we were saying about the fact that a lot of teams have picked up where they left off. A lot of players seem to be picking up where they left off. I think if you already had a good squad, there weren't too many changes to be made. You know, obvious ones, if you had Jesus, you would uh, move him on. The fact that so many people were selling Mitrovic, I thought was really weird uh, in the build-up to the you know the restart of the season um and then he went and scored a bunch of points and i've played that one terribly the week he scored 15 points i had him on the bench and then i drop uh tony to put mitrovic in and then mitrovic goes and misses a penalty that week and tony scores so i've played an absolute horrific one on that one i could have been a lot further up than i am but I am hoping that I made the bold move of making him captain this week. Thankfully, Haaland didn't score a hatful of goals against Chelsea to make me feel bad about that decision. And hopefully Mitrovic can score a hatful of goals against Chelsea on Thursday. And I'll be laughing all the way to the bank with some points. But uh, yeah... Don't forget, if you do want to join in on the Turnstiles and Tribulations League, there will be a link in the show notes and you can still add yourself to the league, even if it's this far away through the season and all your points kind of join in. So hopefully you're on less points than me, but more points than Chris. I mean, that's not going to be hard, is it? If, you, if you've not, managed to keep up with there. making changes um, for about half of the week so far, you'll be ahead of me because... <laughs> just so difficult to remember when the windows open and shut and there's transfers and there's wild cards and you know I can't keep on top of Arsenal's injury problems let alone what's going on at other clubs yeah uh, round it off with what we think about tomorrow's game for Oxford or what to be honest by the time we get this out will probably be today's game at Oxford Um my quick conclusion on that is we should play a mixed side. I think a lot of people have read into the fact that the younger teams have played this weekend and all played with full strength sides. And a lot of people are making a conclusion that that means we will play a strong team against Oxford. Uh, I would say it should be 
Matt Turner in goal. It should be Rob Holding in defence. It should be Cedric. Um, and then take your pick of who from the starting eleven you want to fill out the rest of the back four. I think in midfield it should be Lukonga and... I would probably say Xhaka over Partey just because I think Partey needs more protection than Xhaka does. Um, and then I would also go with Vieira needs to play for sure so that he can hopefully get some minutes under his belt. I mean, Arteta's talked about how he should now be sharper because he's had a bit more time with that kind of new mini preseason that we did. Um, so hopefully he can. I'd love to see him challenge for a place the goal he scored in the little um dubai super world cup thing that we did um was was good oh segue onto how hilariously bad that penalty shootout was against leon and we're back um who else i up, up top it's a tough one we know smith rowe is going to play um, I think Martinelli should drop down. I think Bukayo Saka should drop down. And these players should be on the bench just so if we do have any issues, we can bring them on. But let's let's try a couple of the youngsters. I mean, we've talked before that we're missing that actual step-up level of youngsters like Balogun would play or Charlie Patino would play. We are down to the Winaries and the lower level of that uh, youth set up but give him a shot see what happens and uh, only bring on our bigger guns if we need it I would say yeah I mean that's 100% the way to play it um, I think as much rotation as possible Fabio Vieira needs to play and get some minutes um, Marquinhos as well should should be involved yes yeah he should play um, with Smith Rowe and then I guess Nketiah will have to play um, there's not really another option there but I mean, I, I think we should have enough to be... If, like, if those players aren't good enough to be Oxford, then we've made some bad decisions on, on bringing them in. Um, mm-hmm. But fingers crossed. I, th- I think it will be a comfortable victory. That's my prediction for it. Okay. And, um, yeah, then we go off and play Man City, which is going to be at the end of the, the month, which is it slightly makes... January even harder because it adds not just um, two tough um, tough games but a, a third one then because yep. that will be um, City away at the the end of the month. But yeah, hey, look, if you're gonna win these competitions, which we want to do, then you have to beat the big boys, right? So it doesn't really matter when you play them. Let's get them knocked out now and let's have a nice um, easy final against Boreham Wood. What about that? That'd be lovely. And to all of the uh, fans who are on their way to the game tomorrow, uh, enjoy it. You and I know as match-going fans that getting a a team you wouldn't normally get in the cup draw away is always what we would want as a fan. I'm sure that the Oxford hierarchy would rather it was at the Emirates to have made a bit more money on the uh, ticket receipts. But um, for the fans, our, our boys and girls that are going to that game will we'll have a great time. Um, Great pubs in Oxford as well. I was there um, a few weeks ago. And did you get what I meant about the city of bikes? No, I mean um, okay. Well, maybe because it was winter time, they were all like Amsterdam. Up, I think city of bikes. It it is, but Oxford is our Amsterdam. If you look it up, that that is that. You drive around Oxford in the summer, bikes everywhere. They're a pain in the backside. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, there you go. That's that's my travel More advice. City this podcast covers so so many different things: fantasy football, yeah. transfer speculation, and Oxford travel advice. And Mexico, I talked about late. Mexico as well. I mean, I mean, you know me; I'm always on trips. So yeah, travel, 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 man, Chris. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up, mate? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, okay. I don't think so. Other than, I mean, we we always kind of do this right at the end, and I I sort of forget that we should mention um, Arsenal women and stuff. But uh, sad to see Jordan Nobbs yep. leave the club after twelve years of service. What a what a player! Um, I think I managed to see her live a few times. She scored a, a goal from distance or a free kick from distance um, that was quality. So she'll be remembered very well by the club and. Um, got a few new players in as well there as well so interesting to see how the rest of the season goes for them yeah yeah and good luck to them but yeah definitely good luck to to Jordan uh she's been a real servant for the Arsenal women and a great player like you say so uh do wish her all the best um and also on that uh congratulations to like the England women's team as well to Beth Mead uh for winning all of the different um awards for Sports Personality of the Year, which just in another side sideways rant, I hate this called Personality of the Year because you don't need a personality to win that. It's it's based upon sporting merit, not your personality. Right, we've had some people with the personality of a sack of spuds win that um, trophy, but it's based, it, you know it, it's based upon their uh, <laughs> it's based upon their uh, sporting achievement and. The Lionesses are absolutely deserving of all of that recognition. Since then, we've seen women's football games attendances in the uh, traditional stadiums that the men's team play in, and they're doing a great job at you know either filling them or nearly filling them. Um, and that is a big jump from just a year ago. So uh, I really hope that continues. And for me, I think that. They they should because uh, the the league's slightly out of sync, isn't it? The women's and the men's. Uh, yeah, they've got a break at the moment, right? Um, I, mean, I think they just had I just had one. I I would love to see it run reasonably parallel with the Premier League season, and have it on. T- I'd love to be able to watch it on TV more, and you know, plan it that when Arsenal are playing away at. Man United, Arsenal women are playing at home to Man United. Um, I know that groundskeepers will be pulling their hair out at the idea of that um, and, and wanting to keep their pictures good, but I'm sure we can figure it out, surely. Um, I, that's that's my two cents on that. And I'd love to have... I don't know what it's like in the UK now, but you get the odd game here on Canadian TV, I want I want access to more. Yeah, um, FA Player does show a lot of the WSL, um, and then Sky Sports has some other games. So it's not it's not too bad the coverage here, but um, yeah. Cool. The more right, merrier, well... the, the, the more t- the more football on TV of any level, the better. I'd say. Even hungover Sunday league. How good would that be if there was one 
Sunday you just league pick, game featured. It's like you're at some sort of local field, like Hackney Marshes. You've got you know all the pitches, and you've got you get to choose the red button. You pick pick from which one of the twenty games of Sunday league that are happening, and you could pick by being able to see what is going on in the in the changing room beforehand like how hungover is this team or what's the level of banter in that team and then you just you watch that game because of that 100% I'd watch that because there's no other football on it that early in the Sunday is there yeah I'm all over that let's make that happen that would be actually that's do you know what because you could tie that in with reality tv so you know channel five bosses would be all over that I might. We should pitch yeah, it. I mean, I'm a viewer already. I'm watch it. Good on Netflix. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. We're rambling on now. So, um, Chris, good to chat to you. Uh, I hope you feel a bit better as you are suffering a little bit with a cold there. Uh, so I hope you feel better soon. We are unsure when we will record again as time constraints are a little tougher for the for the pair of us at the moment, but we will do our best. Uh, thank you, though, for tuning in and listening to us um, kind of catch up from where we left off back in November um, and yeah up the Arsenal for tomorrow and up the Arsenal for against Tottenham on the weekend yeah up the Arsenal come on <laughs>